Well, you know what? I said Isaiah 42, didn't I? Well, it is Isaiah 42. I knew by the Holy Ghost it was. I just couldn't find it. Glory to God. I want you to start reading with me in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 18. Look at what it says here. Hear, ye deaf, and look, ye blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? And deaf is my messenger that I sent. Who is blind as he that is perfect, and blind is the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but thou observest not. Opening the ears, but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. And they are all of them snared in holes. And they are hid in prison houses. And they are for a prey. And none delivereth. And for a spoil. And none saith. What? Nobody will say restore. Notice it is very, very important that if anything in your life is going to be restored, you're going to have to get it into your mouth. The only things that will be restored in your life are the things you're willing to speak. Now let me prove this to you. Go with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. Oh, glory to God. Acts chapter 3. And I want to begin to read in verse 19. Repent ye therefore... And be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was what? Now y'all need to hook in with me. I told you two jokes. <laughs> I obeyed the pastor. <laughs> Glory to God. Just because it's Canada Day doesn't mean, oh, man, I've got to go to church on Canada Day. Glory to God. <laughs> All right. Acts chapter 3. Let's read this again. Verse 19. Let's jump in here now. Repent. Chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send... Say, he shall send. He shall Say it again. Say it one more time. He shall, he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restoration, oh, glory to God, of all the things spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Now, what I want you to see in verse 20, verse 20, verse 21 tells us, first of all, let's look at that. Verse 21 tells us there is a reason Jesus has not yet returned for us. The heavens must hold him back. He cannot return to earth until something happens. And it is not wars and rumors of wars and nations and earthquakes and death and tsunamis and nuclear disaster. Those are the beginning of sorrows which is the harvest of the seed of sin. Nothing of the curse can bring the world to an end. There are two major prophesied events that are the catalyst to bring Jesus' return. The first one is this gospel. Praise God. Of the kingdom must be preached unto all nations. Mark says published. 
unto all nations, then, he says, for a witness. Now that is huge, because we're not just talking about a book with leather bound with gold leaf edges that's a list of do's and don'ts, offering people another religion. We're talking about this gospel, this good news, must be preached unto every nation for a witness. Now what in the world does the word witness mean? It means that something manifests when this gospel is preached that you can see. You'll witness it. It manifests itself. Proving Jesus is alive, proving the word is true in signs and wonders and miracles. God's presence in the tabernacle of the wilderness as they carried it through the desert had a, a, a fire on the altar that burned incessantly. Why? Because it was proof God's presence was in that Holy of Holies every day and every night. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God's presence was abiding continually with them. And the Bible calls it in the book of Acts the tabernacle of witness. The witness we're talking about is the abiding, tangible, manifest presence of the glory of God. He's saying this gospel must be preached unto every nation with a witness of the abiding, manifest, tangible, miracle-working, resurrection power of God to prove Jesus is alive, to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to forgive the sinner, to fill them with the Holy Ghost, and to give them hope of eternal life, and to prove that Jesus is different than every other false god. Now this gospel preached with power is good news. Good news to the poor man that he doesn't have to stay poor. Good news to the bound man that he can be free. Good news to the bruised man that he can be liberated. Good news to the brokenhearted person that they can be healed. Glory to God. This is good news. This is good news. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everybody that believes it. This gospel, this gospel must be preached. That is the catalyst that's going to bring Jesus back. Not disaster. Not tragedy, not famine, not flooding, not nuclear war. That's the beginning of sorrows. And the Bible tells us that sorrow is attached to the curse. Sorrow was never present till man sinned. Sorrow is not from God. Jesus redeemed us from the curse by being made a curse for us. And Isaiah 53 says he carried our grief and our sorrow. So sorrow passes away when you go to heaven. He wipes away the tears from your eyes. There shall not be sorrow anymore. Sorrow doesn't get to go to heaven. Sorrow is not from God. So there's no way that the beginning of sorrows could be God-induced. Anything that's described as the beginning of sorrows didn't come from God. Which means the earthquakes didn't come from God. The wars didn't come from God. The famines didn't come from God. The tsunamis didn't come from God. And God's not sending it to judge the planet to end the world. Oh, come on now. That's why many times when you read the New Testament, it tells you, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When you know who God is and who He is in you and what His character is and what He's doing, your heart doesn't get troubled with every little whim of things you read in the newspaper. Because, he, in fact, Paul wrote and he said, I was with you. I told you how it's going to happen. I told you how it's going to fall out. I told you we are not appointed to wrath. We are appointed to salvation. So I don't want you soon shaken in heart or in mind by letter or by any other message. 
So don't let somebody write you a letter, or don't let somebody put an article in the newspaper, or don't let some person on television report an article that soon troubles you, where it shakes you in harder mind to understand that there's only one thing that can bring the world to an end, and it is not the devil, the curse, or any tragedy. This earth will remain until every jot and every tittle of this word is fulfilled. The thing holding the earth here is this. Woo! Glory to God! And so what will end the earth is the fulfillment of this. Oh, glory to God. And the Bible clearly says the heavens must hold Jesus back until everything prophesied by all the prophets to come to pass is restored to you and me. That's this side of heaven. We are in a season of restoration that's beyond anything you have ever imagined. We are moving into the early and the latter rain to handle everything the prophets before us were promised and didn't see, plus our own. Woo! Glory to God. Talking about restoration. Woo! Glory to God. And verse 20 tells us how it's going to happen. Verse 20 says, it will be sent when it's preached. That it has to be spoken before it can be sent. So we see Isaiah 42 tells us people are robbed, people are spoiled, they're doing without, they're in duress, the enemy's stealing from them. And why are you so blind and why are you so deaf to see that restoration belongs to you, he says. Why is it that we're stolen from and nobody demands a payback? Why is it that the enemy steals from us and nobody says, restore? So the only things that are going to be restored in our life is what comes into our mouth. Amen? We can see this clearly from the Word of God. That it has to be commanded and demanded before it manifests in our life. And so, in fact, let me show you this. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. Oh, glory to God. Yeah. I, I, I hear him starting to strike up the band, getting ready for the fireworks. <laughs> oh, Jeremiah chapter 34. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Yeah, she's, she's shouting so loud. She's saying, now, what'd you say again? <laughs> Glory. Look at Jeremiah chapter 34. We're going to start reading in verse 8. It says, This is the word that came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, that after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people which were at Jerusalem to what? To do what? What do you do when you proclaim something? You say it. Liberty! And was Brownie? You know, when they were younger, Miss Brownie, you know, needed to get their attention. She might say, Liberty! <laughs> and you heard it. What did it mean to you? Come here. <laughs> Does it not? Yeah. What do you think you're saying when you say, Restore! Yeah. <laughs> Liberty! Yes. He said, There is a covenant. A covenant's a big deal. There is a covenant with us 
for us to proclaim liberty. Glory to God. Let's read on down. That every man should let his manservant and every man his maidservant, being a Hebrew or Hebrewist, go free. Liberty to every man. Well, liberty to my son anyway. No. <laughs> we'll get over this hump in just a minute. <laughs> now, when all the princes and all the people which had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should let his maid, manservant and everyone his maidservant go free, that none should serve themselves of them any more, then they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they turned. Oh, this is a big statement here. And the handmaids, afterward they turned and caused the servants and the handmaids whom they had let go free to return and brought them into subjection for servants and for handmaids. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them forth from the land of Egypt out of the house of bondmen, saying, At the end of seven years, let you go every man his brother a Hebrew, which hath been sold unto thee. And when he hath served thee six years, thou shalt let him go free from thee. But your fathers hearkened not unto me, neither did they incline their ears. You have now turned and done right in my sight in proclaiming liberty every man to his neighbor. You had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. But you turned then and polluted my name and caused every man his servant and every man his handmaid that he had set at liberty at their pleasure to return and brought them into subjection to be unto you for servants and handmaids. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, you have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty everyone to his brother. Oh, this is big. You have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty everyone to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you. Woo! Glory to God. Mm, mm, mm. Saith the Lord. Now notice what happens when you won't proclaim liberty. To the sword. To the pestilence. To the famine. I will make you to be removed. Stuff that was moved to give you liberty will now move back into your life because you won't keep this in your mouth. This is big. This is huge. We cannot have restored mm. what we won't proclaim. And God said, I made a covenant with you that every one of you should proclaim liberty to every person because I have proclaimed the liberty for you. Praise God. Woo, glory to God. And then he says, now, but you turned. You turned. Now, when was it that they turned? It, they didn't turn when they caused the people to come back. They turned when they quit proclaiming liberty. That opened the door to a thinking that caused them to look at the profit they had lost by letting these servants go. You, you understand what I'm saying to you? The, the, the people coming back in bondage was the fruit 
of them not hearkening to God and keeping liberty in their lips. And this is what happens to us. We're breaking the very covenant God made with us when we won't get liberty and restoration in our mouth. And he says in Isaiah 42 that who is blind but my servant? Who is deaf but my servant? What he's saying is, is that I'm saying restore, but you're not hearing what I'm saying. I'm saying restore, but you're not seeing what I'm seeing. You need to see what I see and hear what I say and say what I say and you'll see what I see. Oh, praise. Now, that's what he's talking about. Now, why is that important? Because we found out last night that Job darkened God's counsel by words uttered without knowledge. So when we, God said to me that night when I was on the front row and he said, why don't people move things out of their way? I said, I don't know, Lord, why? He said, well, because number one, many people don't even perceive there's anything to be moved out of the way. He said, number two, he said, if they do perceive there's something to be moved out of the way, they don't know what to do about it. And number three, if they do get to the place where they know what to do about it, they won't decide to move it. Oh, glory to God. So we're moving to the place where we know what to do about it. We know how to walk in faith. We know how to turn this thing around. We have found out that if words can move a mountain, then words can keep it from being moved. That somehow, because see, this is the thing. This is the thing I want you to see. This verse right here is a powerful verse because most people don't connect the dots. But what I want you to understand is, in the scripture, if the word mountain is used and it doesn't refer to a geographic mountain, like Mount Sinai, Mount Ararat, Mount Nebo, if it doesn't have a geographical reference and it's used symbolically, a mountain in the scripture is always symbolic of a kingdom. When you look at Dan, in the book of Daniel and he had a vision where there was a stone made without hands and it grew into a mountain, but it was crashed at the foot of that great image. He saw the head of gold, right? And the arms and chest of silver and the belly of bronze in the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. You know what I'm talking about? And that rock came and hit the foot of that and ground it to powder and a wind came and blew the traces of it away. And that rock, it says, became a mountain. And that mountain swallowed up every other mountain. And here's the interpretation. He said, you, O king, or king of kings, you're the head of gold. After you will arise a kingdom but inferior to you. And each of these kingdoms in succession will arise. But in those days, God will set up a kingdom. And his kingdom will come at the very foot of every natural kingdom. And we'll bring it down and grind it to powder. And the wind of God is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost blew in like a wind. And the wind of God is going to come and blow away the trace of every other earthly man-made kingdom which has, which has a limited shelf life. And in those days, he's going to set up his kingdom. And his kingdom shall swallow up every other kingdom. And his kingdom shall have no end to it. Now, when you see this, you see that the interpretation of this great dream was that a mountain was a kingdom. This is why very often God is described as sitting in the mountain, on the top of the mountain in the sides of the north. That's why Isaiah and many of the prophets say, come ye into the mountain of God. That's why that Mount Zion, it refers to the church. And it's why that in the book of Revelation, when he talks about the beast, which has seven heads, and on the seven heads there are ten, or there are crowns. Well, uh, and these seven heads are seven mountains. And so he's got symbolism there because obviously those mountains represent a kingdom. 
The heads of the kingdom with a crown represent dominion. So we understand here that if that's not a geographical reference, that mountain always represents kingdom. Now this is very important because Jesus said, Whosoever shall say to this mountain. Now he's talking about a collision of kingdoms. He's talking about our king with his dominion. Overcoming and moving out of his way. Their king and his dominion. That means whatever spiritual force is behind whatever's going on in your life, whatever demon power from that inferior kingdom has set that up is no match for the king of the kingdom that lives in you. Glory glory to God. Whosoever shall say to this mountain. So she's saying, speak the word to the opposing kingdom. Ecclesiastes 8, 4 says, where the word of a king is, there's power. Now what I want you to see is this. I want you to see what it says here. When you won't say liberty, then something happens. You leave a void. You've not taken the ground. So you leave space for all the things that aren't a part of your liberty, your restoration, and your kingdom to move in to occupy that territory. And he says, I will make you to be removed into all the... What you need to understand is, is part of the curse says, part of the blessing says, your enemy will come one way, he'll flee seven. Part of the curse says, your enemy, you'll come against the enemy one way and you'll flee seven. It says, in fact, let's look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which lists the curses of the law that Jesus redeemed us from. Look at verse 25. Now this is the listing of curses. But look at verse 25, and if you could bring it up on the, on the monitor here. The Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You will go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and what? Shall be what? Shall be removed in, into all the kingdoms of the earth. What we need to understand is, it is a curse for us to move and not our mountain. Oh, come on now. Jesus redeemed us from being unable to move things out of our way. Part of the blessing is to be able to move a mountain. To conquer opposing kingdoms. Praise God. So we say, restore. We say, liberty. And we're calling it to us. And whatever's in the way has got to get out of the way because it's coming. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Whatever's keeping my healing from moving into my body, you get out of the way. Jesus, see, this is one of the things that we need to understand. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Look at what it says here in Colossians chapter 2. And I want to read, starting in verse, um, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins, and the circumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, and blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Jesus, when he went to the cross, the very thing he was doing was reconciling you and me to God. Yes. 
which means whatever was in our way, whatever was between us, whatever was keeping us from having what he, what he, what he had created us to have, Jesus took it out of the way. Oh, glory to God. Now the Bible says he broke down the middle wall of partition between us. Did you know that? Now notice what it says here. He says, and you being dead in your sins, circumcised in your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That means he conquered the demon power that put it in the way and can hold it in your way. That means that opposing kingdom has no right to stay in your way. You have been redeemed and have the authority to move out of your way what's in the way. Praise God. Go back to Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Notice what it says here that Jesus did. It says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Did you know the book of Romans says, the book of Romans says it's high time we should awake out of sleep? Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed? See, one of the things that we don't see is we, don't, we, we see things afar off. See, the way we view, skew things, the way we view things, we don't understand that Jesus took the things out of the way and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Paul dealt with this in great detail, quoting Moses, when he said, what does the righteousness, which is of faith, say? He said, it doesn't say, who's going to go into heaven and bring Christ down from above? It doesn't say, who's going to go into hell and bring Christ up again from the dead? So the righteousness, which is of faith, does not say heaven has to do something else. I need something else from heaven to put me over. The righteousness, which is of faith, does not say we've got to break the power of the devil. We've got to get the devil out of the way. We, somebody needs to do something about hell. Jesus has done about hell all he's ever going to do. Jesus has brought from heaven everything heaven could give. So what does it say? The word is nigh thee. My salvation is near. The kingdom is at hand. I have it now. It's not a long way off. It's not a difficult obstacle course. It's not going to be hard to get there. Glory to God. Because the word's near me. It's in my heart and in my mouth. In my heart and in my mouth. It's in my heart and in my mouth. The word of faith which we preach. Glory to God. I'm convinced if you can get it into your mouth, you can get it into your life. Amen? So true. Now what's Paul quoting? He's quoting Moses' writing. Where God spoke to Moses to tell the children of Israel, he said, the promise of God, it's not far off from you. It's not across the sea. This is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Would y'all like to see that? Why don't we do that? I'm just impressed to just really drive this point home. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Praise God. Bless the Lord. I sure am glad I came to church today. 
Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Notice what it says. For this commandment which I command you this day is not hidden from you, and neither is it far off. What keeps things hidden from us? The words we've spoken that have darkened God's counsel. Our own words that are stout against God. Us saying it's far off when he says it's not far off. Us saying it's going to be a long time when he says it's not going to be a long time. Us saying, well, I did it to myself and I'll just, I made my bed, now I'm going to lie in it when God is saying restore. Us saying, well, you know, I just, I just don't know what it is, but I just, don't feel, I just don't feel free. I just don't feel like my prayers are getting to heaven. Did you know that's a curse? Did you know Deuteronomy 28 says that your prayers, that the heavens will be brass? Like there's a cap, a ceiling on your prayers you pray and there's no response. That's a curse. So for somebody to say, I just don't believe I'm hearing from God. I just, God hasn't spoken to me in a long time. It just doesn't seem like prayers get any higher than the ceiling. That's a curse. And it's going to stay that way as long as you say that. Because you're saying what is and how you feel, not the truth. We're not called to live by our feelings. We're called to live by faith. Isn't that right? So he says, for this commandment which I command you this day, it is not hidden from you. Say this out loud, it's not hidden from me. Not hard to find out. Not hard to see. I know exactly what to do. And it's not far off. My restoration is not far off. My liberty is not far off. Everything's out of my way. Jesus took it out of the way and destroyed the power that was holding it there. I'm free. Free, free, free. Do you hear me? I am free. Woo, glory to God, there's nothing in my way. Praise God. It is not far off. Whew. Look at verse 12. It is not in heaven. Boy, that torques somebody's brain. Not in heaven? No, because heaven already put it down here. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it do it. Praise God. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your heart. And it is in your mouth that you may do it. Now look at verse 15. See? See, this is big now. See? I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. The New American Standard translates good as prosperity and evil as adversity. I have set before you life and prosperity and death and adversity. Adversity is evil. Prosperity is good. In that I command you this day, and he tells them what to do. Look at verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record or to record against you this day that I have set 
Everybody say set. set. Everybody say this is set. As we, as we walk down this path now, this is going to be significant. This is set. This is settled. I have set before you. Not in heaven. It's before you. I have set before you. Mm-mm-mm. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Choose life. Now notice what happens. When you make a decision, it gets set. And the light of God shines on the path to get it done. But the light of God will never shine on the path to get it done. You're not going to see how to do it till you make the decision. But the day you make the quality decision to move something out of your way, is the day that the heavens open and reveal the revelation for the light to shine on your path to get that thing moved. Because it's not far off. It's not hard to do. Somebody else doesn't have to do it for you. It's already been taken out of the way. It is set before you. So choose. You know, the Lord said to me, why won't people move things out of their way? I don't know, Lord, why? Well, because many people don't perceive there's anything to be moved, he said. And if they do perceive it, he said, they don't know what to do about it. And then if they see it, they won't decide to move it. I don't know about you, but I'm deciding to move what's in my way. I'm choosing life. I'm choosing good. I'm choosing blessing. I'm choosing prosperity. Notice what he says here. That both you and your seed may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cleave unto him, for he is thy life and length of days, that you and your seed, uh, actually he goes on to say, that you mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. So, so he is your life. He is the length of your days. So choose life. Amen? And the way you choose is you decide. You decide. Look at this verse, Psalm 89. <clears throat> Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I know he's helping us today. Psalm 89, <clears throat> verse 34. He says, actually, let's back up to verse 33. Nevertheless... My loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness, I will not lie unto David. God will not break his word. His word is settled. Everybody say settled. His word is settled. Oh, glory to God. Do you believe it? Hallelujah. Well, let's just let the word talk to us here briefly. And let's just get this down deep in our heart. Praise the Lord. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever 
O Lord. How long? Forever, O Lord. Your word is settled. Settled in heaven. Everybody say, settled in heaven. Say it again. Settled. Now you do realize the word set is the root of the word settle. When something's settled, it's set. It's established. So God's word is settled in heaven. Amen? And he has just told us, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day. I have set before you. So evidently, his word is not only settled in heaven. Now let's prove that out. Let's go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, he says, <clears throat> starting in verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, for he will what? Oh, thank God, he will have compassion, and he will abundantly pardon. Praise the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Amen? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and does not return, but waters the earth and makes it. Bring forth. Makes what bring forth? The earth is what's going to bring forth. This is already in heaven. This is coming out of heaven to the earth. And whatever comes out of heaven to the earth makes the earth bring forth what heaven puts in it. The earth was created to respond to what heaven speaks. And this is what we see in Genesis. When God created the world, He created it not only with words, but He created it to respond and do what He told it to do. Light be, plants grow, animals come forth. The earth was created. This is why the entire kingdom operates on seed, time, and harvest. As long as the earth remains. Because the earth is... is literally manufactured by God to grow what's put in it. That's why you can take a post, a chrysoat post, and put it in the ground, and you have to put something on it like chrysoat to help it last a while. Because if you just put a raw post in the ground, that thing's going to deteriorate. You want to know why? Because the earth attacks it. What's it doing? It's trying to grow it. That's why metal rust, that's why everything you put in the ground decays. Because the earth attacks it. Because the DNA of the earth is whatever you put in it, it's going to grow it. Sure. You're, you were created that way. You were made from the dust of the ground. You were created to grow whatever's put in you. 
That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, we're born again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So, <laughs> incorruptible means not subject to shrivel, ruin, or decay, or death. Which means that I can, if I can get incorruptible seed in the ground, I can, get, I, I can have a guaranteed harvest. There's nothing in the way. There's nothing with enough power to stop incorruptible seed from becoming what it is. Oh, glory to God. And so that's why he says in Proverbs 4, My son, attend to my word and pine your ears to my sayings. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Right? And he goes on to say, guard your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flow the forces, the issues that produce the life you want. Their life to those that find them. Health to all their flesh. You get this incorruptible seed of the word in your spirit and it'll grow a new body part. Because the word will become flesh. The word will become flesh. You get the right seed in the ground and you're designed to attack it and grow it. That's why you got to keep, that's why you got to guard your heart. Because whatever you put in there, it's going to go to work growing it. And if you don't want it, don't put it in. Hmm? Isn't that right? Guard your eye gate and your ear gate. A lot of people say, well, I have to... Uh, you know, I just, I know I shouldn't have said that. I just shouldn't have said that. I know I've got to just change my confession. And, I, and some of you probably felt that way last night. And what I want to communicate to you is the answer is not in changing your confession. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem is not what's coming out right now. The problem is what's in there, what's going in. If you change what's going in, what's coming out will automatically change. If it's in there in abundance, you're going to start saying something different. Because you're going to start seeing it differently. You're going to start thinking about it differently. It's going to change your image on the inside. Isn't that right? Yes, it is. And so he says here in Isaiah 55, he says here that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, but like the rain and the snow that comes out of heaven to the earth. So now there's a transference. There was something that was in heaven, but it's released out of heaven. It now comes into the earth, and it makes the earth do something from a heavenly supply. The earth now brings forth something it could not bring forth without that heavenly supply. And here's what he says in verse 11. So shall my word be. My word's like what? My word's like the rain. My word's like the snow. Rain, snow, ways and thoughts. Rain and snow, ways and thoughts. My thoughts are in the heavens higher than yours. My ways are in the heavens higher than yours. But like the rain comes down and the snow comes down from heaven to earth, so my thoughts come down and my ways come down from heaven to earth through my word and make the earth bring forth. Praise God. So now we know forever his word is settled in heaven, but it's not just in heaven. Now it has come down from heaven to earth, 
and I have on earth the word that is settled in heaven, but when it came down from heaven, it was set before me. And now, whatever heaven has already settled, see, this is the real key of authority when you look at Matthew 16. Because Jesus told Peter, not only are you blessed, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven, which indicates this information came out of heaven to earth. Are you following me? So if you see this pattern, my Father which is in heaven, which means this is heavenly information that came out of heaven to the earth. And also I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. Plural. Oh, wow. So he's saying, here's the key to getting anything done and open is heavenly information coming out of heaven to earth. The revelation of how God sees it, how God does it, what he knows about it. Doing it like he does it, that's the key to getting the earth to produce what heaven wants it to produce. And so he's saying, flesh and blood didn't give this to you. You didn't get this information from the earth. You got this information from heaven. When you did it and acted on it, something changed. You changed. Now you're Peter. You went from a reed to a rock. Your nature changed because of revelation. So also I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. And the Amplified Version of the Bible states the Greek very well because it says, what you shall bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Most people miss the translation, and they think that we've just been given carte blanche authority to go around binding things. But that is not what the Greek reads. The Greek says, we look into heaven and see what heaven has already bound. And then we mirror heaven and bind it in the earth. We have authority to bind in the earth what heaven's already bound. We have authority to loose in the earth what heaven's already loosed. And that's why more of this doesn't work. We're not functioning from heavenly information. We're not seeing what heaven is saying to do about it. But if we did, we would realize that there's, there's so many patterns to this. I mean, there's so many analogies, but let me just give you a couple. One would be that the sun and the moon and the planet, the earth. And you realize that the moon doesn't have light of itself. Right? Its assignment is the lesser light that Genesis says is used to rule the night. Which means the Son of God who has light in Himself, wherever He is, there is no darkness. If you're on the side of the planet, which you talked about these fireworks, will the sun go down already? Because if you're within the scope of the view of the sun, darkness cannot stay. The moon was created, not to shine the light of itself, but to reflect the light of the sun into the darkness. And it'll create an ability to work. That's why they call it a harvest moon. When it's full moon, when it's in full array, there's enough light that you can still work through the night. even if there's a world between you and the sun. 
Oh, come on now. This is what happens to people when they have no light. They let the world get in between them and God. But what we need to see is, is that we are, we're created. We're created as a body. Suspended somewhere between heaven and earth. Taking our position in between the two, we receive the light from heaven and reflect the light into the darkness. So we see what heaven binds and we bind it. We see what heaven looses and we lose it. So we see that by his stripes you were healed. We see that heaven has already bound sickness. So we no longer pray and ask God to heal people. We command sickness to go. We move sickness out of the way. We bind it. Because we're just reflecting what heaven has done. Is that resonating in your heart? Now, I don't know if you have a safety deposit box or not, and I'm really not sure if all of them operate the same way, but I do know uh, in the United States of America, primarily banks, when you rent a safety deposit box, they have two keys. Is it the same way here? You have two keys to the safety deposit box. And what's really interesting about that is, is that that is a safety mechanism. Even though that is, and those are your possessions. The bank doesn't own those possessions. Those are your possessions. But they're put in a place not to keep it from you, but to keep it for you from everyone else. And you're given a key. But the thing is, you can't just go in there and open it with your key. And the bank can't go in there without you and open it with their key. You know what has to happen, don't you? The bank has to take their key in there and turn it. And you have to sign your name. And with the authority of your name, you take your key and you agree with the bank. You turn your lock. And when they turn theirs and you turn yours in agreement, you get access to the stuff. Glory. That's what the name of Jesus has done. The name of Jesus. When we use that name, we step into an arena where we see heaven has already turned the key on my healing. Woo, glory to God. It's settled in heaven. I'm the establishing witness. I have to settle it on earth. But the day that earth agrees with heaven, some things happen. Amen? Amen? Let me show you this. Go with me to the book of Revelation. And Revelation chapter 22. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I want you to look at verse, um, verse 16. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. He says, I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now notice what he says here. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Now one of the reasons that in the church we don't have what God wants for the church is the Spirit is saying one thing, but the bride is saying something else. 
Can you see that? But the day that the church starts saying what the Spirit is saying, what they both are saying will come. Woo! It'll come to the church. It'll come into our lives. So we can no longer be blind and deaf. When God is shouting, restore, we have to quit saying it's a far off. We have to start saying, I have it. And I have it now. Restore. Liberty. I have it. I have it now. I proclaim liberty. Liberty from God. Liberty to you. Liberty to me. Glory to God. Say this out loud. In Jesus' name. Everything in my way is out of my way. Woo! Glory to God. Praise God. Woo! Glory to God. Say it. I'm turning my key. I'm turning my key. Praise the Lord. Woo! Glory to God. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. My, my, my. <laughs> One man said long ago, and I adopted it. That makes me happy all over more than anywhere else. Glory to God. (laughs) I tell you what, (laughs) even Americans can shout about that on Canada Day. Thank you, Lord. I say it's Kingdom Day. Woo, glory to God. I say it's my day and your day. It's the day of restoration and the day of liberation. Praise God. Woo! Glory to God. Mm, mm, mm. Now I just feel so impressed to go back over here to Ephesians 2 because he says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near. You're made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made us both one and hath broken down Glory to God. He has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enemy or the enmity. Even the law and the commandments contain the ordinances. And it says, to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. So that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached it. He preached peace. He preached peace. Everybody say, He preached peace. peace. Now, the preaching of peace means that the war is over. We have conquered the enemy. Peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict, it is the result of a conquered enemy. Notice He slayed the enemy and preached peace. He broke down the middle wall of partition and took stuff out of the way and preached peace. Peace means stuff is out of the way. Peace means the enemy is conquered. Peace means that what I'm fighting against is under my feet. Peace means that what I say goes and I occupy the territory and I set the laws and I take dominion over my sphere of influence. Peace means there's nothing in my way to keep me from accomplishing what God told me to do. Oh, this peace is strong. In fact, go with me to the book of Acts chapter 10. This peace is strong. We know Jesus used it. 
when he was in that boat. You remember the first night we talked about them being in the boat? And how he stilled, what did he use? The force of peace. Did he not? The supernatural force of peace. Praise God that conquered fear and worry and the mammon spirit. And the demon powers that were trying to keep him, they were in the way. See, most people don't know this. But when that storm arose on that boat, when you read it, after that storm was still and he got to the other side, it says he got into the country of the Gadarenes or Gergesenes, whichever way, you know, there's different type dialectal uh, pronunciations of it. But when he got over there, there was a madman in the tombs that met him on the shore, screaming, fierce, exceeding fierce. Two of them, it says in the book of Matthew, that no man might pass that way. Territorial spirits that run in gangs that were violent, to keep people from walking into a territory where they were called to go. Threatening spirits. Violent spirits. Now this demon knew because the first thing he said was, are you come to torment me before the time, Jesus? Don't send me out of the country. This demon spirit saw Jesus coming. They knew if Jesus got in that country, they'd have to move. They did not want to be kicked out of the country. Those demon spirits were the ones that caused that storm. The storm was in the way. Of Jesus getting where God told him to go. And peace moved that thing out of the way. That's why you cannot afford to let any circumstance get you into fear and care and worry. Because peace and faith are synonymous. I'm not nervous about it. I'm not nervous how it's going to turn out. Oh, glory to God. Now notice what he says here in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to start back in verse 34. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's liberty to everyone. That's restoration to everyone. He that fears God and works righteousness is accepted of God. Now look at this. The word, everybody say the word, word. which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. You remember what we read in Acts 3? He says, repent, be converted, your sins will be blotted out, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And they said, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the restoration of all things. Which means that we're not going to have what we won't preach. We have to say it before we can have it. Isn't that right? Preaching peace. Well, notice what it says. The word which God sent through Jesus Christ. Preaching peace. Preaching peace. Preaching peace. Preaching peace. Look at this phrase. Preaching peace. By who? By who? He is what? Lord of how much? How much? When we operate in peace... We are telling every demon spirit, every circumstance, every earthly situation, every tragedy, every element of the clouds, the rain, the wind, the storm, the lightning. We're telling all of it from heaven to earth, from the footstool down. Jesus is Lord of all. He lives in me and great is my peace and undisturbed composure. There is nothing outside of me that's greater than the Lord of all things. I refuse to submit my peace to a momentary affliction. Yes, 
Glory to God. I'm not getting out of peace. We have underestimated the force of peace. It is the enforcer of kingdom dominion. Satan can't get me out of peace. He doesn't get access to any of my other spiritual forces that are going to produce my victory. But the moment I get frustrated and fretful and worry and fear and care, get under pressure to maintain a timeline or do something, then now I'm out of faith. Because I don't see myself with it. Now I see it afar off, and i got to get something out of the way to get it. Right? So I can't afford to get frustrated. Because the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. Frustration and faith are not synonymous terms. Amen? And some folks think they're in faith, and they're just toughing it out. Because they're doing what they've always heard preached to do, but they've lost the fresh edge of the fact that they really, and so they're really confessing things because they feel it slipping through their fingers and they're afraid they're going to lose it. So the confession sounds right, but it's not even motivated by faith and peace. Oh, this is big. And they start scurrying around trying to get stuff out of the way because they perceive this stuff that's in the way. If we can't get this moved, if we don't get this fixed, this can't happen. And that's the very parable Jesus told about the wheat and the tares. And the enemy's done this. The servants saw the tares as a threat and in the way to the harvest. But not the master. The master said, let them alone. Don't pull them up. Don't run around pulling up all the tares. They don't have the power to stand in your way. They can't keep the harvest from growing. I know you may have heard me say this before, but I have to tell you, this, this is uh, one of my cornerstones that I go back to. I have a number of them, but this is one of them. The Bible says in Matthew 15, every plant, my heavenly Father has not planted, shall be rooted up. Whew. I don't care what I'm facing. If God didn't send it, it's got a temporary shelf life in my life. It's coming up by the root. It's moving out of my way. It cannot stay because I'm using the name and turning my key and I'm staying in peace. Amen? Whereas incorruptible seed guarantees a harvest. Huh? The moment we recognize something as needing to be dealt with in order to accomplish whatever God says, we're empowering that thing and telling it you're in the way. You have the power to keep me from, I've got to deal with you because you have the power to keep me from getting over there. Satan absolutely hates being ignored. Brother, Brother Copeland said one time <laughs> that the Lord said to him, he was talking to the Lord about the devil said something to him, whatever, and he said, well, why don't you do to the devil what you do to me? And he said, what do you mean, Lord? And he said, don't do anything he says. That was early on in his ministry, of course. That hadn't recently. I mean, that's like 40-something years ago. 
So why don't you do to the devil like you do to the Lord sometimes? Ignore him. <laughs> he hates it. Because you see, Jesus is Lord of all. Something is happening. Something, something's coming out of my insides when I'm operating in peace. It's telling the storm, you can't stop this ship. I'm not going down. The Lord of all creation is in my boat. <laughs> Woo, glory. Woo, glory. He told me to do this. There's nothing in my way. He took it out of the way. Praise God. Look at this. Preaching peace. Everybody say preaching peace. Verse 37. Look at verse 37. That word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. Oh, glory to God. And healing how many? Proclaiming liberty to all that were oppressed. You do realize proclaiming liberty was part of his Luke 4 assignment. You do realize that when he came out of the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, the Lord, the Lord anointed him, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty. We have a covenant as ministers of the gospel to proclaim liberty to everybody that hears us. To quit telling them what you're walking through God sent. God didn't, Jesus didn't come to put you back in bondage. He came to set you free. I like Galatians 5, 1. It says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. I'll tell you, there's not only a power that'll set you free, there's a power that'll keep you free. The peace of God that passes understanding proclaims him Lord of all. Everybody say Lord of all. Say it again. One more time. And he wants to heal every person in the sound of my voice that's oppressed of the devil. Because God is with him. Praise God. Whatever it is that's in your way is coming out of the way today. It's getting out of the king's way. 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 You do realize there was an anointing, a specific anointing on John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm going in front of him getting stuff out of his way. Glory to God. The crooked way will be made straight. The low places are coming up and the high places are coming down. Lift up your head, O ye gates, for the King of glory wants to come in. Glory to God. Get stuff out of the way. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. Bless the Lord. Now let's go revisit a verse that we looked at last night. Isaiah 51, 16. And let's look at it in light of Isaiah 55, where he says, my way, your ways are not my ways, my ways are not your ways. They're higher. Like the heavens are above the earth, they're higher than yours. And then he says, so shall my word be. Right? So shall my word be. Isaiah 51, verse 16 now, four, four chapters behind Isaiah 55. He says, I have put my words in your mouth. And I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. How come? What for? What did he do this for? 
that he may plant the heavens. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, he says in Isaiah 55, 11, It shall not return unto me void, but accomplish that which I please and prosper where it is sent. Amen? Now I submit to you, there has to be a sending of the word before there can be prosperity. We see this spiritual law throughout the word of God. We see it especially in Romans chapter 10. Where the famous verse we all quote, so then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Somehow we miss the spiritual law that causes that verse to be written. He says, how can they believe unless they hear? How can they believe unless somebody preaches? Right? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? And by the time you get down to verse 18, you know, Romans 10, 17 says, so consequently then, faith cometh by hearing. So the word was sent. The word was sent. Praise God. The word was sent. And so the word has to be sent. He said in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Think about Joshua 1.8. He said, Joshua, thou shalt meditate in this book of the law day and night. Huh? And he says, it shall not depart out of your mouth. It doesn't mean keep it in there and don't speak it. He means speak it and only it. Don't, don't put anything else in your mouth. Day and night, put the word in your mouth. Day and night, put the word in your mouth. And don't let it depart from, don't depart, don't you depart from, it coming out of your mouth. That's really what he's saying here. So he's saying, he said, it will come out of your mouth, meditate in it day and night, that thou mayest prosper. Hmm? And when you quote the whole verse, he says that thou mayest observe. Right? That thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. See, this is something we don't understand, is that the Bible says in the book of Psalms that the children of Israel saw God's acts, but Moses knew his ways. I'm telling you, that's how the Red Sea opened up. There was a path that nobody else could see. There was a way that no, man, no other man knew. There were footprints in the bottom of that ocean. Glory to God. There was a path through the deep and in the mighty waters. I'm telling you, there's a way to do this. Brent, there's a way to do this thing. There's a heavenly, supernatural, godly way to do this. A heaven-born possibility. There's a way that nothing else is in the way of. There's a way, Brother Ron. There's a way. For the phone, for, for your ringer. Now, I'm saying it's a healthy ringer on your phone. And it'll never go out. But in the natural, there's a way. For the phone to ring so much, you wonder, is the ringer going to last? having to turn down people to take slots to come to your business. It's on the way. And there's stuff out of their way from coming. And out of your way from getting them here. There's a way. 
There's a way. Praise God. And only heaven shows that way, see. But you have to see what he sees and know what he knows. This is what he's telling Joshua. You can make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. You'll deal wisely in the affairs of life. You can observe what to do if you put this, get this word in your mouth. He's saying here, he's saying, I put my words in your mouth. Why? That I may plant the heavens. Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say. What that means is faith works like a seed, and the way you plant it is to say something. So if you will get the seed of heaven in your mouth, you will be planting it in the earth. And there's a shadow of his hand that will cover it until it prospers where it's sent. And it will not return void. But it will accomplish that which he pleases. We're the establishing witness, though. We have to decide. We have to decide to settle this thing. I've settled it. Settled it in my heart. I've settled it. It's settled in heaven. I'm going to settle it on earth. I'm the establishing witness. I will settle it. It'll be for me. Mary settled it. When the angel appeared to her, she asked the identical question that Zacharias asked when he was told he was going to have a baby in his old age and Elizabeth was going to bear. And you know what God did? God literally had to strike the man dumb. God shut his mouth did not let him speak until John the Baptist was born because his doubt would have messed the whole stinking thing up. God had to shut his mouth. We know Jesus. There are four times in the book of Isaiah 53 where it talks about the cross that it speaks of saying something. And, and it speaks of things you do say and things you don't say. And it says, who shall declare his generation? But then it says, as a sheep before his ears, so he opened not his mouth. Why? Because there was so much life in him that had he opened his mouth, they wouldn't have been able to kill him. He had to keep his mouth shut so they could take his life. <laughs> and that's exactly what God did with Zacharias. When he had that vision, that angel said, you're going to have a child. He said, how should this be? How, how's this going to be? He asked the same question Mary asked. But he asked it from a totally different heart. He, was, he didn't believe it could even be possible. And so the angel said, Phew! you're going to be dumb for a season, boy, because you're not helping me out at all. <laughs> the moment he named the boy John and everything was carried out, his tongue was loose and God let him talk again. But Mary was different. Mary pondered these things in her heart. She said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And she wasn't asking the Lord. She wasn't saying, Lord, how's this going to happen? It's not even possible. She's saying, Lord, how are you going to do this? How do you know she asked that? Because she said, be it unto thy handmaiden. <sighs> According to your word. I'm telling you, it'll be unto me. Just, it'll turn out for me just like he said it would. Praise God, it'll turn out for me just like he said it would. I agree with him. I'm the establishing witness. It's going to turn out for me. Stuff is out of my way. Somebody say, it's out of my way. It's out of my way. Say it one more time. It's all my way. Say it one more time. It's my so the Lord said to me, son, why don't people move things out of their way? I said, I don't know, Lord, why? He said, well, many people don't even perceive there's anything in them. He said, and if they do, even many more of those people, he said, they don't know what to do about it. And then he said, if they know what to do about it, 
He said, many of them won't decide to move it. And he said, but here's the main reason that when people see that things are in the way and know that they should move them out of the way and even have an idea of how to do it and what they're supposed to do, he said, here's why they won't decide to do it. He said, they're overly concerned about the impact of the change. Oh. He told me, I was ministering to some ministers. He told me, he said, this is the reason more preachers hit a plateau in their ministry and the church gets at a standstill and they never go forward. Because they got sister so-and-so that has a lot of influence in the church and has been teaching the kids for the last 25 years. And they know that for the last 10 years, she's been dead and critical and everything else. But she has so much influence in the church that if they move her out of there and move into the person that's supposed to be there to grow that thing, then it's going to cause an up-ripple effect in the church that they're not willing to do that to the church. And so instead of moving that ugly spirit out of the way, they'll let it stay because they're overly concerned about the impact of change it's going to have on the church. Yeah. I can hear the air getting sucked out of the room now. He told me, he said, everything you hadn't moved out of the way, he said, it's because you were concerned about the ramifications. He said, you were concerned about the fallout. That's self-preservation. And let me just tell you, the scripture makes it very clear, glory to God, that anything that we get offended at will keep our mountain in place. So if we get overly concerned about the impact of the change, it's going to cause in our life and start looking at the details and start withdrawing from it, even though God told us to do it, we have fundamentally, we didn't mean to, this is not something we did on purpose, but we fundamentally said God doesn't have my best interest at heart. We fundamentally have said about God his instruction in my life is not what's best for me. We have fundamentally said His instruction for the church is not what's best for the church. And now it's no longer His church, it's our church. Now it's no longer His business, it's our business. Now it's no longer a marriage submitted to Him, it's the way I want it to be. We have to get to the place to where we're no longer offended at what the change is going to require of us. And we're never going to make a change. We're never going to move something out of the way, Pastor John, if until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Because you're going to have pain every, either way. Because all of your life, if you don't do what God told you to do, you're going to live with regret and condemnation and limits. Why didn't I do that? And I should have. And if I had have. But see, we're always wanting somebody else to do it for us. We're always wanting somebody to go to heaven and bring Christ down from above. Or go to hell and defeat the devil for us. And what we don't miss is, what we're missing is, it's not far off. This is not hard. It's at hand. And someday, sometime, You've got to draw a line in the sand and make a quality decision. That the results of what this change is going to bring are worth 
me not living the next 30 years of my life wrestling with this. What's on the other side of the mountain is worth moving the mountain. Glory to God. And we have to get to the place where we are no longer, we get past the concern about the fallout and the impact of the change. Because the truth is, we created the monster. And now we feel like we got to feed it. Let me tell you something. If God, if Jesus can go to hell and save me, you need to realize God's greatest creative act was not the creation of the world. It was when Jesus was risen from the dead. When God created the world, he had no opposition. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, hell and all its demons and all its authority and power that had been delegated to it by Adam was resisting that resurrection. And yet he stripped him. Both of his authority and his keys he crushed his head. Woo! And blew out of hell. And blew out of death and led captivity captive. He is Lord of all. And not only is he Lord of all, he is a good God. And if he is good, and if he loves me, and if he has my best interest at heart, there's only one reason why he's telling me to move something out of my way. Because he has bigger plans for me, better plans for me, wonderful plans for me that I can't get to as long as I stay in this image thinking I'm small and I can't do it and I won't do it and there's not enough money and it's far off and I'm not sure and I'm not smart enough and what are they going to say? No, no, I'm not, I'm not at that place anymore because the bottom line is I am not who I think I am. I am who he says I am. Jesus was declared to be the seed of David according to the flesh but he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit and no matter what people point at me to be in the natural no matter what people say I am in the natural I could be a truck driver or a bank teller or a lawyer or a doctor I could be a politician or a pastor I could be a farmer or an outfitter. Whatever I am in the flesh, I am in the flesh. But that does not define me. I am declared to be a child of God with power according to the Spirit. This is the barrier that keeps people where they are. Because many people see themselves as female Christians instead of Christians who happen to be female. They see themselves huh, as female ministers instead of ministers who happen to be in a female body. See, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. And I have a d- domestic responsibility in what I do, and that's all well and good. And I need to be faithful and do it because I don't want to bring reproach on the gospel. And there's plenty enough capacity and time to do everything he told me to do. 
The problem is when I start adding in the expectations of others and the reality of others and what I think about myself and what I got to do and they expect this of me and I need to be there at such a time. And when I, need, when, I, when I really need to get myself reoriented, I get reminded of what happened to me one day when I walked into a Texas State maximum security penitentiary with a razor wire all around and, and the guards in the towers and machine guns and we're going in to minister to these inmates and, and ha- many of them, you know, uh, reci- re- re- I, I have a hard time saying that word. Anyway, they've come back into prison and... Um, you know, for the second or third time down, some of them have life in prison. You're in death row. Some of them have, have literally killed multiple people like a serial killer. You're in a situation to where everything from drunken driving, the, the third offense, and now they have go to jail for it, to a rapist, to a pedophile, to a, and you're sitting there ministering to them. And it dawned on me when I ate lunch with them and sat down and ate lunch with them that what we were eating, they had grown out there on the farm inside the prison walls. And, that when, and the flowers that I passed in the flower bed on the way in, that those inmates had planted them. And it dawned on me that when that inmate put that kernel of corn in the ground, that corn didn't say, I'm not going to grow for you because you're a murderer. That corn didn't say, I'm not going to grow for you because you're a thief. And it dawned on me that there were both Caucasian inmates and African-American inmates and Hispanic inmates. And that that corn did not say to the African-American, I'm not going to grow for you because your skin is black. Or to that Hispanic person, I'm not going to grow for you because you're Spanish. So when you plant that seed in the ground, it's not going to say to a person, I'm not going to grow for you because you're First Nations people. It won't work for you because... Your First Nations. It's not going to say it won't work for you because, you know, I know you're pushing on through, but you're, you're from Jamaica. You're from heaven. And then I went into the women's penitentiary, and I realized they were doing the same thing. And it dawned on me. That seed didn't say, I'm not going to grow for you because you're a woman. And it dawned on me that seed is the great equalizer. There are three things that are great equalizers. Oh, I'm sure there's more. But if you just got these three, you'd change your world. First one is seed. The second one is tithing. And the third one is faith. Because the... There's no such thing as white faith and black faith and Hispanic faith and male faith and female faith or Baptist faith or Episcopalian faith. There's just faith. We even say, what faith are you? It's a stunning question because there isn't but one kind. It's the God kind of faith. There's no such thing as Baptist faith and Episcopalian faith and Lutheran faith. There's just faith. And either you believe it or you don't. It's the force of faith that God used to create the world. Faith is the great equalizer because he's dealt to every man the measure of faith. And tithing. How awesome is tithing? Because God is saying, I want the first fruits. 10% off the top. So a person that makes a million and gives 100000 hasn't given any more than a person that makes $10 and gives a dollar. They've given the same amount. 
they're both connected to the covenant on the same level. This is awesome. Tithing is a great equalizer. God did it so that no one would feel afar off. So that everyone would believe this is for me. God so loved the whole world. And I'm convinced that whoever you are in here, if you're willing to plant the seed, if you're willing to make the decision, if you'll press past the impact of the change and not get offended at maybe a process it'll take to do it, whatever is in your way, it could have been in your way for 40 or 50 years, it will move out of your way. You see, this applies to absolutely everyone at every stage of life. It applies to the young person who feels like they got a raw deal in life because they didn't really have a father and he ran off and then their mom got killed when they were 15 and then somebody took me into a foster home and, then, and they abused me. See, this applies to that person. Because the scripture says that if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. The scripture says the Lord will take the rebellious that dwell in chains and remove their chains and take the solitary and set them in families. The Lord will never forsake you. And the Lord will never leave you. This applies to everybody. So it helps us to get excuses out of the way. And it keeps us from becoming bitter. And we choose, I'm not going to be bitter, I'm going to get better. It moves us from the place of victim to victor. It says, you know what? No man can stand in my way all the days of my life. I tell you, when it dawned on me, that a whole nation of people for 40 years saying the wrong thing couldn't keep Joshua and Caleb out? That was big in my spirit. Because it dawned on me that it's not what they say about it that counts. It's what I say about it that counts. Why don't people move things out of their way? Wow. Why don't they move things out of their way? And I would say if there's one thing, I know I've been preaching toward it this entire time. But if there's one thing that's probably the most important of those four things, it's the fourth thing I said. Because I'm now speaking to people that most of you, this isn't the first time you've heard the Word of God. For many of you, you're seasoned in some of the things about faith and confession. You've been taught it. You're believing it. You believe these forces. You believe it's true. But the reason it's connected inside of you and exploded and stood you up out of your seat is because you realize, you realize, you know what? I've got to make a decision. Glory to God. Glory to God. I am the establishing witness. See, we, we have to quit putting in our heart and in our mind other voices that tell us this faith and confession stuff isn't right. Oh yeah, you say you've got to say the word and you've got to confess the word while well, you're legalistic. Hmm. Hmm. Last time I checked, by grace, are you saved through faith? That, not is, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And when we were saved, the faith 
that activated the grace required me confessing Jesus as Lord. There's no such thing as me having to confess it being legalism. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is me planting that seed in the earth that activates the grace to produce it. They work together. There's no such thing as a grace camp and a faith camp. There's no such thing as a division between the two. They cannot work independently of each other. That's an impossibility. See, there's a scripture in Romans 10 that I read to you. It's called the word of faith. But there's another scripture in the book of Acts that calls it the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. But there's another scripture that says it's the word of righteousness. Hmm. So you're telling me then, Pastor, that an acorn has in it the bark, the sap, the roots, the trunk, the leaves, the limbs, and other acorns? Yeah, I'm telling you that the acorn has everything in it necessary to produce an oak tree. And I'm telling you the Word of God doesn't just have grace in it. It doesn't just have a limb. It's got a leaf and a bark and a sap and roots. It's got righteousness and faith and wisdom and peace and hope and joy and power. It supplies absolutely completely everything necessary to get stuff out of the way and produce what God's great plan is. You believe it? Woo! Let's rejoice for a minute. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Woo! Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Say, I refuse to put up with this being in my way one more day. This is my day. Not just Canada's day. The kingdom's day. My day. It's my time. My season. my season and now, and now I, have I have the authority to turn my key, turn my key. To, open to open what's hidden to quit darkening, to quit darkening. The, counsel the counsel of God by words coming out of my mouth, out of my mouth. That, are me that are me getting in my own way, in my own way. I, repent. I repent I repent Oh, come on. you got to be as strong on that as you are the rest of it. I could feel a lull when I said, I repent. You didn't just jump on that one. You know why? Because you really don't think you've been sinning. Yet the Bible says, what is not a faith is sin. Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Not to have faith is perverted. Hebrews calls it an evil heart of unbelief. And James says when you know what to do and you don't do it, to him it's sin. You need to get settled in your heart. Saying the wrong stuff just because you just 
I just, I just, I, 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 I know I should be saying this, but you just won't let me be human. Exactly. You finally caught on. You're not a mere human. You have a covenant. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're not supposed to be ruled by your emotions. You, congratulations, you finally got it. That you're created in the image of God. And he does expect you to put a bridle on your tongue. <laughs> so the truth is, it's time to repent. I asked the Lord something and he started talking to me about it and I, I don't perceive that I have the liberty, the freedom to get into it this morning. We're, we're where we need to be right here to act on the word. But I'll say this to you. When Isaiah went in the temple, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled that temple. And when he saw the angels flying around and crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the doorpost shook and the threshold moved. Isaiah said, Woe is me. I am undone. I have a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people that have unclean lips. And when he repented, the angel of God flew over to the altar and took a coal from the altar of God and came and put it on his lips and cleansed his lips. Wow. Wow. Cleansed his lips. And he heard them saying, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah finally responded, Here am I. Send me. Notice he couldn't be sent till his lips were cleansed. Notice he, the question, Who will we send? Who will go for us? Indicates... I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm looking for somebody to go for heaven. And there's nobody I can find. Because nobody will save when heaven is saved. This is deep, saints. I don't mean deep as in difficult to understand. I mean deep as in a revelation that anything other than living this way when we know not to do it is sin and we must repent. There has to be a washing of the water of the Word. There has to be a cleansing in our heart and in our mind because we have convoluted and diluted the power of this thing by all these other voices and opinions and ideas. And what we've done is we've taken, we've allowed certain things to come into our life. And instead of living by faith, we've added faith to the way we live. Do you understand the difference? There's a difference in living by faith and just adding faith to the way you live. Picking and choosing what you want to use your faith for. Oh, glory to God. It's a 
just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Yeah, I see that, Lord. Say this out loud. I refuse to be offended at my own self. I forgive myself. Because much of my problem is my own doing. I repent, Lord. I repent, Lord. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. Nobody can keep me out of this. You are for me. Who could be against me? And therefore, therefore I, am I am deciding. And I will reinforce this decision, reinforce this decision. as I recall it to my mind. And as your spirit recalls it to my heart, I will reinforce this decision until it is set, settled, and established in my heart that life and death, blessing and cursing are not far off. They're right in front of me. And I choose. I choose life. Now. Woo, glory to God, now I choose it now. Say this, I choose to live and not die. I choose to be healed and not sick. I choose to win and not be defeated. I choose to prosper and not be in lack. I choose to walk in peace instead of worry. I choose to live by faith and not by fear. Greater is he that is in me. He is Lord of all. And I am reflecting his light into the darkness. I rule the darkness. Satan, I break your power. Get out of my way. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! Hallelujah! Glory to God! Is there anybody in the house glad you came to these meetings? Anybody in the house whose life has changed? Set in order and rearranged? Anybody whose faith is stronger now than it was 72 hours ago? Is there anybody that believes they've heard from heaven? Yes. Has the Holy Ghost been talking to you yes. about how to get stuff out of your way? Yes. Are you willing to get it out of the way? Yes. Praise God. 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 Hallelujah. It's moving now. Something's moving. Something's changing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Now, I'm going to say a few things here by the Holy Ghost. And I just want you to stay with me. Because as your faith is high, if you add it to it, dynamically things are going to change. 
Last fall, God spoke sovereignly to this ministry about a shift, a change. And Pastor Jonathan and his lovely wife Tia stepped into the pastoral role, overseeing both churches. Sister Brownie stepped into an apostolic oversight type of a role. And while I believe and perceive that the transition is smooth and everybody has accepted it, I also believe and perceive that there's a dynamic that that change was designed by heaven to create to fulfill the forward progress and the unusual promotion, increase, and prosperity of this ministry. And it is so important that we agree with heaven, that heaven said it, and that we are not overly concerned about the impact of the change. That we don't even recognize the impact of the change. That we get our tongue off of it. Get our mind out of it. Quit questioning how's it going to look and what's it going to be. I don't know. You see, there's something about walking by faith that many people don't understand. There's a reason it's called the word of faith. It's not called the sentence of faith. It's not called the paragraph of faith. It's not called the page of faith. It's not called the chapter of faith. It's not called the book of faith. It's called the word of faith. Because to walk by faith, you get a word from God. You don't have all the pieces. You don't see all the details. You don't have every I dotted and every T crossed. But you're courageous enough to believe that God loves you so much. There's a reason he wants you to do this. So you step out on that word. And when you step out on that word, oh my, how many times does he create the ground under our feet? Amen? I don't know how to explain it, but probably the best biblical analogy was when Saul tried to give David his armor. And David said, you know, I'm in trouble if I'm going to face Goliath down in this armor that does not fit me. Right? And sometimes we have to learn how to wear our new coat. You know, Joseph's brothers weren't real happy when his daddy gave him a coat of many coats. But the truth is, saints, we don't have a choice but to wear the coat our father gives us. And we're not going to take our coat off just because of other people's opinions. Because the truth is, what God's really trying to do is plant the heavens into the earth. And the reason it rubs us or challenges us or it's been one way for a long time, it's like breaking a bone and resetting it, is because heaven's order hasn't been our order. And when heaven's order comes, it demands some changes. And if we get overly concerned about the impact of the change, then there'll be things in the way of the change that we won't move. And I believe with all of my heart, strategically, these meetings are designed to absolutely in the spirit restore, liberate, heal, confirm, establish, set, reorient, track, and reestablish. Strengthen. Glory to God. The plan of God in the earth and getting everything out of the way that would keep it from happening. 
And here's what I know about the gospel. That the anointing comes on the head. And it comes through the beard. And it flows down the body. But what I know about the gospel is that when there's a covering and an anointing that flows flowing, everybody that's a part of that body comes under the flow of that anointing. Sometimes people say, I need something to change in my life. I've been struggling against this for a long time. I don't understand why this isn't moving, why it can't change. But we like comfort, and so we're resisting the godly change on the ministry we're attached to, maybe. Or maybe we have thoughts about it or something. You know what will happen? It will cut us off from the anointing that will cause that change to happen for us. God, I see it. I see it in spirit. There are so many things that have happened under the anointing flowing in these meetings and the word, it would literally be impossible to define them all. But there have been changes, dynamic, wonderful changes in relationships, in marriages, in families, in businesses, and in the kingdom sphere. There's thoughts that have been taken out of the way. Thoughts about our own selves. And then there's been a reorientation. A reestablishing in the hearts of many people. That you know what? This is the right message. And somehow we don't realize it, but there's been so many voices flying around our head that it got, we got pulled away from what the real gospel is. It has reestablished that. I believe it with all my heart. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. And as I witnessed this last night by the Spirit when we were praying for people, um, I was aware, I became acutely aware that there was an anointing flowing by that contact and agreement and the laying on of hands, anointing people to move into that change and to make move things out of the way. But it wasn't the kind of anointing where the power of God comes on somebody and blows them against the wall and totally does everything for them. It wasn't that kind of anointing. And the reason is because the anointing that flows follows the word that's preached to confirm it. The anointing that flows in any meeting follows the word that's preached to confirm the word that's preached. So that anointing that came into that meeting and is in this meeting today is to anoint you. To move these things out of your way. That's why you've got to decide to move. And you've got to destroy in your heart anything that makes you concerned about the impact of the change when you do. If you will. If you will. The days of heaven on earth await you. Mountains are moving. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So if you could just give me just one more moment as we wait on the Lord. I, I want to see inside. Lord, how do you want to administrate this? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.
You know, I, I really am satisfied inside that many of you have already crossed the line and made a decision. I feel it in here. I really feel it. But uh, I just sense that should there be anybody that would like to say, hey, I'm making the decision, and this agreement in prayer is my point of contact. That I'm stepping across the line, and the moment I step across, everything that was in my way, it's out of my way. I have decided to step into the fullness of all God has for me. For that person or those people, or for the person that really maybe has been brought to that place to where now I'm ready to make that decision and haven't made it yet, this is both the anointing coming on you to make the decision or the seal of heavenly help to confirm the decision you've already made in your heart. Does that make sense? And the anointing's here to do that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 